Good morning. Our scripture reading comes from Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. This text can be found on page 839 in your pew Bibles. First, let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also follow your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So one of my favorite moments in Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin is when Marie returns home after Sunday morning worship and tells her cousin Ophelia that worship was absolutely wonderful. She said, oh, Dr. G preached a splendid sermon today, he did. It was just such a sermon as you ought to hear. It expressed all my views exactly. What would you give to hear a sermon like that? I wish I could hear a sermon like that. I can't, and I'm the one doing the preaching. Because the problem is, when a sermon is really a sermon, when it really proclaims the gospel, then the word is not simply our own. The word is too big to be ours alone. You know, like when Jesus talks about forgiveness, forgiving 70 times 7, and we know how hard it is to let some things go. When Jesus says peacemakers are the ones who are his children, and we know how afraid and suspicious we can sometimes be. When Jesus says, sell all you have and give to the poor, nothing makes us more anxious than that. We worry about running out. When Jesus says, welcome the stranger, but my confidence in the goodness of the stranger is lacking, I realize the gospel, it is not an expression of all my views exactly. And because that is true, this is is my struggle, and maybe you struggle with this too. How do we integrate the faith that we profess here with the life we live out there? How do we carry the, the truth that we believe here, how do we carry that into the real life that we lead? One thing for sure, the prophets... We're not really concerned about expressing our views. We said last week the prophets had a gift. They had the ability to to see the times and know the truth of what is going on in the midst of our times. 
They could see life as God sees it, and then they would tell us what they saw. And because we don't often see things the way God sees them, their words were challenging. And one of the challenges that the prophets would hold up in many places is that God doesn't want us to be casual about worship. You heard it in the passage. I hate, I despise your festivals and your assemblies. Make your offerings, but I will not accept them. And your songs are just noise to me. Wow. Amos says this is what God is saying. Now let's be clear. The festivals and assemblies, that's worship. The noisy songs, that's hymns of praise. God is basically saying, worship if you want, but I got better things to do. One of my mentors is a preacher named Jim Lowry. He's a South Carolina storyteller and a man of great wisdom. He's retired now, but I remember the time he told me, he said, you know, now, Tom, the Lord is mighty busy, he said, but even with everything else God has got to do on Sunday, she's still going to drop by to hear what you've got to say. Thanks, Jim. I haven't been able to eat breakfast on Sunday morning since he said that. It's a little intimidating to think that God's going to stop by and pay attention to what I say and what you pray and how we worship. As a matter of fact, the only thing I can think of that's worse than the idea of God being here to listen to us is to think that God would rather be somewhere else. So here's an important thing for us to remember. Worship is not only for us. I hope it's meaningful for you. I hope the regular and repeated discipline of coming into the presence of God with God's people is important in your own life. We all need this. But ultimately, worship is not just for us because the one we worship is not us. But God. God is the recipient of our prayers and praise, of our confession and pleading for mercy. And if God were to choose not to be present, what we do here is pointless. I told the children a couple of weeks ago that when I was a kid, I went to church in a harness. I didn't want to go, I hated it, and, and my not wanting to be in worship didn't matter to my parents a bit. They told me worship was just like lima beans and math homework and flossing. As long as I was under their roof, I was going to eat my lima beans, do my homework, I was going to floss, and I was going to church, like it or not. Now, I say this because it's important to notice that the problem that Amos was dealing with was not that people didn't want to go to worship. They did. 
Church attendance was fantastic. You had trouble, you had trouble finding a seat. Imagine. <laughs> Going to church was not their problem. That's ours. That's our problems because today we are so incredibly busy. Our schedules are so crowded, and our capacity to travel is so abundant. It's hard for us to make worship a priority. We are often running from dark to dark and are exhausted. For Amos, the problem wasn't getting to worship. People were good about that. There was something else that was lacking. And what was that? If I understand the text, I, I think the problem was that worship was siloed from the rest of life. It was compartmentalized and kept segregated from the rest of life. So Amos says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. That happens out there. Worship is not intended to be an experience that stays in church. Worship is supposed to be the place and the time when we rehearse the story of life, we retell the purpose of life. It is to be the place where we are reminded who we are and what we are for. But that truth is not rehearsed in worship that we might simply know it, but that we might carry it with us. So you'll remember this. Several years ago, there was a series of commercials launched about Las Vegas. It presented Las Vegas as something of an adult playground and that something happens to people when they go there and their better sides do not emerge. And, and then they worry that folks might, back home might figure out who they've been in this, in this strange city. But Las Vegas is a place of grace. And, and they promised you... What happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. I think Amos is saying it's not good when what happens in church, what? Stays in church. The truth is, when the benediction is pronounced, it has always been easy to leave the affirmations of our faith behind in the sanctuary. That's always been a challenge. Reverend Benjamin Palmer, in 1860, he was pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he spoke to the presenting issue of the day, slavery, and Palmer said this, he said, slavery is within the plan of God. It's revealed by that first principle of self-preservation. That self-preservation which is continually asserting its supremacy over other principles. Need I pause, he said, to show how this system of servitude underlies and supports our material interest, our wealth, consist in our lands and those who till them. He says, we can't afford to set people free. The economy couldn't stand it. 
We can't afford to set people free. We have to take care of ourselves, self-interest. I don't know where he got that idea. Actually, I do. But he didn't get it in church. On the front page of the paper yesterday was, again, another article about abuse of priests. Another dramatic example in our own day of leaving the gospel behind. Now, hear this. I lift up this moment from the past, from over a hundred years ago, because with the perspective of time, it is clear to us the error that is at play. And I lift up a dramatic expression of failure dramatic enough to make the news because it is clear to us the error at play. But the focus in this sanctuary is never on the faithfulness of others. It's on our own. So the question is, when God who wants justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, what is God asking of us in our ordinary lives Because often in less dramatic ways than these mentioned before, we all struggle with the measure of integrity between what we claim in this room and how we live outside of it. Several years ago, I took a friend to breakfast. He's a village friend. I met him, actually, pretty soon after I came here. He's very active in the church. He was served as, as an officer. But then several years ago, I noticed my friend, I noticed I didn't see him anymore, and I didn't know what was up. So I called him and said, hey, let's go to breakfast. He said, I'd love to. So we went to breakfast, and I said, okay, cards on the table. What's going on? I don't, I don't see you. I I didn't know if he'd had a change in his job or if he had a parent that needed attention or, you know, the very unlikely possibility that maybe I had disappointed him. I, I I didn't know. So I said, what's going on? He said, Tom, I'll tell you the truth. I began to realize, I began to realize that what we talk about in church seemed so far removed from my life at work. It was like I was living in different worlds. That faith just didn't seem to connect with real life. So I thought, what's the point? Faith doesn't seem to connect with real life. So what's the point? I, I think that's what Amos is getting at. And... He says that faith is to connect with real life. Actually, I wonder if he says it stronger than that. I think he says faith is real life. That real life is searched for here. So when there's a struggle to integrate this into the rest of life. What happens if we begin to think of how we understand ourselves here and what we understand ourselves to be for here is that which is defining reality 
rather than looking for a way to connect this to reality. Am I making any sense? Let me talk about it this way. This afternoon, I'm going to watch some football. Um, Actually, we're in church, I'll be honest. It's much more likely that the football game is going to be on while I nap. That's, That's much more likely. But I know this, football is a rough game. It is dangerous. It is hard-hitting. It's surprising to me sometimes how dangerous it can be. But it's all right as long as you're on the field. But if you treat people like that even just a little bit off the field, it's a penalty. And if you treat people like that in the parking lot, you're breaking the law. Because football is not real life. Real life happens elsewhere. And when folks forget that, it's a problem. So here's my point. I wonder if this is real life. And if we forget it, it's a problem. It's easy for us, and it's not just us. It's been this way since the days of Amos. It's easy for us to get confused about what reality is and what's not. So let me say it this way. I'm, I'm I'm going to go get my annual physical in a month or so, and I have no medical degree, but I know exactly what he's going to say to me. He's going to tell me to eat better. He's going to tell me to exercise more. He's going to tell me to sleep more than I am and than I do, and and to reduce stress in my life. That's what he's going to tell me, all right? I'm telling you this in case you've never been in front of a physician and haven't heard this conversation. But it's possible you have and that you've heard similar things, and then you know what goes on in your head and with me goes on out loud. I say, Doc, you don't understand. I'm doing the best I can. I'm a busy guy. I got people that have expectations of me. I, I, can't, I can't exercise every day. I, I don't have time to slow down and eat right and sleep. I'd love to sleep. I, I, I provide a lot of opportunity for people to sleep. I do. I provide that. But so if I, I don't know if I get credit for that, you know. So, so I tell him what I'm telling him is I get it but it just doesn't fit with real life. But you know what? He wins. Because what he is describing is real, healthy life. And I can choose to live in other ways. I just lack the power to make those other ways healthy. Right? Am I making sense? I think what Amos says is if you want to know what is real, pay attention to God. I am grateful for this good but hard word from Amos because he's right. 
In our day, when schedules are the way they are and demands stack up as they do, it is hard to make worship of God a priority. But I know we, we need to rehearse again and again who we are and what we're for. We can't be shaped by the life of Christ unless we are remembering the life of Christ. So when he says, forgive, over and over again, forgive, we know it's hard. We also know he's right, that there is no life in vengeance. We know he's right. And when he says making peace is holy work, we know our pride and fear get in the way, but we also know he's right. And when he says sell what you have and take care of the poor, we know our battle with self-preservation. But we also know the joy that comes with generosity and it's sacrificing enough to make things better in our own community. And when he says, welcome the stranger, we know the stranger frightens us. Our confidence in their goodness is low. But we also know they are children of God. And he's right. The gospel is not an expression of all my views exactly. We are not naive that the life of faith in the world in which we find ourselves, it is hard. And I don't know when it's going to happen this week, but it will. You will have a moment, you will have a circumstance, you will have an encounter when you'll need to decide what's real and what can be trusted. Can grace be trusted? Can love be chosen? Can forgiveness be offered? Can justice be pursued? And maybe it'll be an easy choice, but sometimes it's not. But in those moments, try to remember the reality of life described here. The truth of who you are, you are God's child. And what we're for is to live like a child of God. Lean into that as best you know how. And you'll discover what's real and abundant and joy-filled life. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.